What's happening, people? It's Tuesday. I think today's like the 21st of March, a month going by like that, Dan Nathan. You're looking good. The Johnny Cash outfit uh, suits you well. Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, FactSet, financial data and analytics that are, in fact, powered by tomorrow, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. We'll throw 30 minutes on the clock. We look forward to your comments in the comments section. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. You know, I love it when you mention the Johnny Cash thing. The days that you usually do that are days that I'm actually wearing all blue, not all uh, black. And, and I think some people would know this. I think I know Amanda knows this. Is that Diaz, I, have little, just say. I have a little bit of a uniform. So I and, and Steven obviously knows this here. So I have literally three of the same blue collared shirt that I wear mm-hmm. right here. That's what I'm wearing right now. That match with like three kind of blue jeans that they're the same kind that I have. Okay. Then I also have same cut of the shirt i have it in black three times and i have it in dark gray three uh-huh. times and then i also have the same jeans three times so i just kind of do the blues the grays the blacks all that sort of thing so you always nail you don't nail actually you don't nail the johnny cash thing you always say it when i'm wearing blue maybe i have it's sometimes it's tough to differentiate yeah. between shades of blue and black i will say this though for those that are playing our home game yeah uh rachel maddow yeah. of msnbc she wears the same yeah. outfit each night beautiful. on the television and i think russell crowe and it's a beautiful mind so he didn't have to think about certain things so maybe you know i, I put those people in sort of the upper yeah. echelon of intelligence so maybe that's what it is maybe it's an in- sign of a higher you're, intellect you're throwing you're throwing me in there I, I appreciate that um okay let's talk about this thing here we have a markets well you know what's funny guy you and i had an on the tape podcast we did with liz young you call her what is she uh well i call her ey from sofi and the funny thing is now um more and more people are starting to call her that you know i i give people these monikers and they stick and you know becomes a moniker i've never gotten a moniker well i've never gotten a moniker yeah well it's you're, you're just you know you're dan i mean you just take that and run with it all right i'm dan all right so so we had her on yesterday we were talking on the tape and you know i, I said to you i said listen i got back i was gone last uh you know for a week or so mm-hmm. i got back thursday night and the first thing i wanted to do was i wanted to lay into the nasdaq and i wanted to lay into the xlf okay and and so i did do that okay and so listen i'm just going to tell you this people there is nowhere to hide for us, okay? We do on the tape Monday and Fridays. We do market call Monday through Thursday. We even did one last Friday. You and I are doing CNBC Fast. There's nowhere to hide. I mean, everything's timestamped. Everything that we say, okay? So, like, I'm here. I'm here to say I'm wrong for a couple of days. What did I say to you yesterday? I said I almost want to feel a bit more pain into Wednesday's Fed meeting because I really feel there's no good outcomes for stocks. Because if you are buying stocks here because you look in – at the CME Fed Watch Tracker, right? And mm-hmm. you see what's happened as far as expectations for where Fed funds is going to top out and where we're going to start getting rate cuts at the end of this year and how that's changed. And you think that's good for stocks given the backdrop of what's going on versus the increased likelihood that we are going to have an economic malaise, maybe a soft to hard landing. I don't know what you're buying here, guy. I honestly don't know what you are buying here if you're buying the stock market based on that. Well, I think, you know, your people, I listen, I'm I'm with you, obviously. And just not to play devil's advocate, but just trying to understand. Let's just trying to understand what's going on here. You know, in terms of these technology, these high growth, high valuation names, people have seen rates come down in a precipitous way. And now there's this anticipation of a Fed rate cut, which is mind-boggling and again they're front-running it which 
to a certain extent, I can understand. I mean, people have been rewarded for that literally for years for doing the same thing. Now, I would submit we're in a completely different environment now. And, you know, be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. And I've said a number of times, if the Fed is, in fact, cutting at the back half of this year, trust me when I tell you, it ain't because good things are happening. And I'll say this. I was surprised. Nobody except Danny Moses and Vinnie Daniel and uh, Jim Chanos and Porter Collins anticipated the, the precipitous demise of a name like Silicon Valley Bank. I don't think in their wildest notions in the work they did, they thought it was go as pear-shaped as it did. But I bring that up because something broke. And in this case, what broke was obviously these banks. Now, to think that that's over in any meaningful way, I think that's a bit of folly. I also think the market's taking some refuge or some solace in the fact that QT for the for the next foreseeable future appears to be over. I mean, we saw that obviously last week when the Fed sort of opened the floodgates for yeah. people to come in and withdraw from their coffers, I guess I should say, for lack of a better word. So I see what's going on. We've drawn the charts here. E-NASDAQ minis traded on the CME. We're in this pennant formation. As I've said a hundred times on this show, this chart looks better than the S&P chart. Why? Because we actually traded down to the 200-day moving average and bounced. 200-day moving average is obviously flattening out. I mean, this is an encouraging chart. The question is, uh, are we setting up for another epic failure or does it blow through the upside? I don't know the answer. Maybe let the charts be your guide. Um, but if I had a bet on it this second, I think we fail. You know, it's interesting, and this this is a great thing to kind of tease out here because if these guys can pull up the Apple chart, um, you know, this Apple chart looks fantastic. I mean, if you're just looking at technicals and you're looking at devoid of the kind of, you know, broader kind of macro themes and and, and kind of what I think is going to happen as far as S&P earnings, I mean, just look at that. I mean, you, you look at that resistance right there at 158, 159, whatever it is that's going back to um, the fall here, and it really does look like a and shoulders sort of bottom. And so sometimes you just have to kind of weigh some of your kind of broader macro thesis. You have to weigh, you know, like, again, some people I know don't even look at charts. So so, so this picture to them doesn't mean anything. They're only focused on fundamentals or, or that sort of thing. Good looking chart. You throw that NASDAQ futures chart back up there and you see that it kind of held that 200 day uh, moving average. It bounced off of that little bit of an uptrend if you see that from the January lows. And now it's about to make a, a new high. Um, if it is to break out above that downtrend. So I see all of that. I'm still short the NASDAQ. Um, you know, if you're thinking about um, using a stop, maybe it's some there, uh, something around 13,000 or so guy in those futures there mm -hmm. a little bit, if you're I looking for right. the short side here. Um, the one thing I'll say is that um, the, this flight to NASDAQ stocks last week when interest rates came in very hard, if the Fed remains kind of hawkish tomorrow, right, we might see a lot of that undone. I think that's the trade that I have on a little bit. Um, you know, I did do a tweet thread um, the other day and talking about how I will often use to like define my risk through um, short dated puts in the situation in the QQQ. And then sometimes I'll use like a levered ETF on a short term basis to get a little juice on that sort of thing. But listen, man, you know, I'll cut my losses in the in the puts and, and I'll cut my losses in the ETF if there's a meaning for breakout there was a movie in the 1970s with paul sorvino the late paul sorvino who by the way was snubbed yeah. by the academy awards a couple sundays ago when they did not uh, mention him in the in memoriam section of course james con in this movie as well 
And James Kahn was a um, degenerate gambler, and he talked about juice all the time. And Paul Sorvino said to him, I don't know about this juice, but I hope you have a lot of it for you uh, trivia buffs out there, Dan. But let me just say this real quick, just to sort of um, amplify your response about the Fed. You know, the Fed broke something, um, but they've sort of shored up that portion of the dam, right? They fixed that in the form of backstopping these deposits. That was the problem, right? I mean, the banks were concerned that depositors were going to flee. Okay, they fixed that problem. So if that problem is fixed, as they've said it now is fixed, my sense is why should they stop raising rates on the course that they were pretty much steadfast on two or three weeks ago before any of this stuff ever happened? So that's the counter to your counter, I guess. I mean, if I'm in their seat, the real problem is still out there. They broke something and they fixed it and they seemingly have rectified that part of the equation. They should continue to move forth with combating inflation. That's just me. I'm obviously not a Fed official, but that's one yeah. other way to look at this. Well, thing. you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, going back to a joke that you make quite um, often, and I'm, I'm not saying you make it too often, guy. I'm just saying that you make it often is that you will ask me sometimes you'll talk about the Fed's dual mandate and you'll say, and what is it, Dan? And I'll mm. say, uh, oh, I think you say it's to keep the NASDAQ and the S&P well bid. And so when you think about what's going on here, given the extraordinary measures that, you know, the FDIC, the Fed, um, all the kind of jawboning about the financial system and what they're willing to do to kind of keep banks afloat. It is interesting that the S&P is up three and a half percent on the year. The NASDAQ um, is up nearly 15 and a half percent. And all of this is happening. I mean, like yesterday and you and I were talking about this. It's like, who the hell is buying stocks here? Like what? You know, we just went through this a little bit. And, and you know, and I'm like the plunge protection team. Are they trying to literally keep the the, the indices um, in check here so that doesn't kind of in, in, incite further fear as far as investors? And, and because I don't know if they are literally buying stocks because I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody, and you could say this is bullish, who really thinks that buying the S&P at the current valuations here, right. buying the NASDAQ, is like this is a good level. This is a good valuation. This is, like, given all the uncertainty that we have. I mean, like, what does that mean to you? Well, what's, what is the bull case here? The bull case is that the Fed broke something, and now they're going to come back in and have everybody's back, and it's, you know, nothing wrong's going to ever happen. I mean, effectively, there's no real, in my opinion, you can't really make a bull case on the back of earnings growth because we're not seeing it. You clearly can't make a bull case on the back of valuations because I think we're expensive. Um, can you make a bull case on the on the back that inflation has been tamed? Not necessarily. So, I mean, if your only bull case is that, you know, the Fed's going to stop breaking things, QT is done, um, and, and that they somehow have our backs magically and nothing's going to break moving forward. I mean, that's pretty... I don't know. I mean, that, you're walking a pretty thin tightrope, in my opinion. Dude. Yeah. Well, let, let's look at the KBW, the bank index, the BKX here. And this is interesting. This is going back um, a few years. And you look at the level in which we kind of caught. Um, uh, we're trying to find a little little home here, a little support guy. And this goes back to those kind of mid-2019 mm -hmm. sort of lows. You see this sort of level um, where we are here. And maybe that chart doesn't mean um, a whole heck of a lot to you. But if you back it out. Um, this is a log chart going back at least 10 years here. You see that uptrend that was breached 
was breached in 2020. We just kind of blew through it right here. And you also look at that um, support level in and around 80 that we're holding above that right now. I mean, to me, I would just say that things are pretty precarious. And then if you just want to look at the the one name that we focused on a little bit yesterday, this was the First Republic, right? And, and at the time, um, you know, this stock, I think when we were doing the show, at one o'clock, it was well, down. Change, I think it was yeah. trading. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was it was a disaster. Well, look at this thing up fifty five percent, and I just want to get you know when we made these charts just a little bit ago, when Stephen made it, it was up forty some percent, so it's gaining a little steam here. But look at what a forty percent move looks like on that chart, and you mm -hmm. tell me that that's not something that's broken. I mean, it could go from right here it could go to 25 bucks it's trading here at 18 that would be another what 35 percent or something like that well what does 25 dollars do for you right i i, I mean like I, I'm, I'm being serious so are these great trading vehicles maybe when you think about all of those halts that we had yesterday and what happens after halts especially if there's news or something we also saw some banks that were trading like this over the last couple of weeks where their equity went to zero so you tell me is this is this is this anything other than gambling? If you're buying, or well, in, in these property? banks right now, I mean, I think you bring, bring up an amazing point. When you see this, when you visually see what a forty percent move is higher against the backdrop of where we've been, just literally, Dan, a month and a half ago. I mean, in February, this was hundred and fifty. I mean, not that it matters, but just for context, traded eleven and change yesterday. It also traded. I mean, this is a stock that nobody ever talked about they had great commercials i guess stock yeah. traded a million and a half two million shares a day on average in the last five or six trading sessions prior to today you're talking about a stock that's traded 90 million shares 140 million shares 180 million shares i mean the turnover in this stock is massive so now the base of this stock is now to your point it's just a trading vehicle and can it continue higher from here yeah but really the question you have to ask yourself is has it shored things up? I mean, the $30 million that 11 banks deposited, those are now deposit. They're not, they're not investors in the bank. They're depositors. Like Amanda Diaz deposits CC's money. Like you deposit your money. Like I deposit the mean, meager amount of money that I have. They are depositors. And they've, they've basically said, we will make a deposit for the next 120 days until effectively you get your shit together. Well, that's the bet you're making. Can they get their shit together in 120 days? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I mean, it, I, I, I guess so. The market's saying that today, but it's important to, to kind of note that, you know, yesterday at this time, the stock was trading at the same spot. So if you think that, 50% up and down, you know what I mean? Moves in, in, in 24 hours is something that's healthy. I, you know, it's funny. I mean, it, it really comes down to this guy. You know, a, a lot of people will say, listen, I, I trade options. I trade ETFs. I trade some of the levered ETFs and I'm trading. And, and you could make the argument that um, that's just gambling too, because I know nothing. I don't have any like crystal ball. I don't know where a stock or an ETF or um, a price of something's going to close. I mean, I, I, the only thing I'll just say is that whatever you're doing and you're watching this show right now, or you're listening to this show right now, you might be an accountant, you might be a lawyer, you might be a doctor, you might be uh, working at the Home Depot, or whatever it is, you have your career, you have your profession. I mean, this is what I've been doing for 25 years. I've been staring at fact set machines. I've been kind of interpreting data. I've been doing all this sort of stuff. And I, I like to think I have an edge. I think I've done um, a, a better job at this making money than, than over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. 
but but again i mean like no one knows anything it's just kind of what we do so if you're just kind of coming off the links or you're kind of getting out of the conference room at whatever your thing is and you're like you know what this stock's down 80 percent in you know uh, a matter of uh, three months or something like that i'm going to buy some okay well that is just that's just gambling and and you, you know what i mean like that's all it is and i'm not telling you that my form of gambling is better than your form of gambling i'm just telling you that this is what i do every day you know what i mean and so um like that that's kind of my only point i'm not telling you not to buy it or whatever i just i had a friend who was trapped in this thing when it was halted yesterday and every time it opened up it gapped down another three bucks or something like that that's not a great feeling I know what that feels like as a professional, okay? Like that's what like I was charged to do in my career for a very long time um, and take, but but actually not really encouraged to take those sorts of risks, right? When they're yeah. kind of binary. And it's interesting. One of the things I said yesterday, if there's anybody new in the audience or if they weren't listening to me yesterday, which is typically what happens when I, I open my mouth, what the, the analogy that I made is, you know, you made this same similar point about the stock market when I said it's not unlike the NCAA tournament where yeah. you get some crazy shit going on in the early rounds. But typically when you get to the, you know, the lead eight or final four, it pretty much comes down to chalk, you know, the odd situation notwithstanding and chalk meaning, you know, you're going to get twos and threes and one seeds in the final eight. And that's what it comes down to. So it sorts itself out in the end the same way. I think you get a lot of noise in the market in sort of the early stages of things, but it sorts itself out. Now, I happen to think that the chalk or the sort out will be in the form of a sell-off, and we're just going through some of the noise here in the early rounds, and we'll see. But maybe you get a 12 seed in the final four, and it screws up the apple cart. But again, that's what makes markets, Dan. Yeah, listen, uh, there's a lot of things that are confusing to me right now about the markets. And I think the, the lack of like, you know, the certainty that I think investors had where rates were going to go based on what the fed was telling us over the last few months and the, the pace in which that changed dramatically over. So like, make no mistake about it. And I think you've, you've said this on many occasions over the last week, guy, it is historic what has happened mm -hmm. in rates. Okay. Based on really not some sort of big geopolitical event or, or, or that sort of thing. Okay. So it's historic. And now the level of uncertainty that has just been added into not just the markets, but also the economy. I mean, you and I and Danny Moses on, on the tape and Liz, um, as she's joined us on these market calls, we've been talking about this for over a year, right? When the fed in late November of 2021, right. Signaled that they were basically going to do an about phase on their kind of inflationary view that it was transitory. We've been talking about, okay, rates are going to go up more than you think. That ended up happening. Do you remember when they cut in March of 2022, which was basically, excuse me, raised for the first time mm -hmm. since 2018 in March of 2022, they did a quarter point hike, okay? And a lot of people were saying that, yeah, they may do 200 basis points or something like that. No one thought they were going to do 5% or, you know, get to that level. You guys were saying that if they're going to battle inflation, if they're going to gain back some credibility, they're going to have to overdo it to some degree, right? At least on the jawboning and the rates. No one thought that was going to happen. So the fact that we've had this about face of, there is no way that we're just going to get out of this with the equity market. In my opinion, the S&P only closing down 20% last year, and now it's up three and a half percent and it's off to the races. It's just not how this is going to resolve itself. I mean, like, like I feel immensely confident in that i might be wrong in the near term here and i made this point the other day also is that after bear was forced in the arms of jp morgan in march of 20 
um, 08. Okay. The S&P rallied at least 10, maybe mm -hmm. 12% or something like that. That hurts if you're wrong. That's how it felt in January being wrong. It didn't feel so bad in February, but this feels ludicrous right now. Yeah, no. And, you know, EY from SoFi has made a similar point that you just made. Like she can't, in her mind, reconcile the fact that we're just going to get out of this effectively unscathed. And, yeah. you know, what she'll say is, I can't believe they're not, the, the headline's going to be, you know, Fed raises rates 5% in the course of a year. Everything's fine. Go back to your normal uh, viewing habits. I mean, it's just, I don't think it works that way either. And if it does work that way, then the whole system effectively that we've been brought up reading about and learning about is effectively broken. And, you know, they can just paper away all the problems we have. I just don't know how long that lasts. And speaking of Liz, uh, our Liz is EY from SoFi. Liz Ann Saunders put something out. And I think visually this tweet does, um, I, I think it does this all a service just to sort of see the correlations. And again, I want to be clear. And Lizanne Saunders is not saying this is 0809. Dan's not saying it. I'm not saying it. Yeah. We're just making the comparison. And if you look at those charts, they're the same exact chart. That's the S&P in the blue is where we went in 0809. The S&P in the orange is where we currently are now. Uh, they were spot on until obviously recently. Now things have sort of decoupled a bit the question you have to ask yourself is is it just a matter of time before we catch up in terms of the orange as to what happened in 0809 because although it's different there are haunting similarities dan nathan yeah i mean listen and there are and and, and let's just like like kind of take a step back for a second here okay me thinking that the s p is going to go back at least to its october lows i felt that before we had this kind of banking calamity over the last few weeks okay and that had to do with value we've talked about all the reasons for that okay so now at this point i'm not rooting for the banking system to go down okay what i'm rooting for is investors to show at least a little fear broader than the regional banks in which you know what i mean like that this has kind of been the epicenter from and we have seen some of the major u.s money centers um we've seen them come in kind of hard they massively outperformed off the october lows so that's kind of how I'm positioned, at least in the XLF here. I just don't, and I said this yesterday, I just don't believe that, you know, the major money center banks and some of the larger investment banks are not deemed to be, um, uh, you know, regionals. They're, they're not going to have some of the same issues. They might be um, like much smaller as a percentage of assets and, 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 the, and the whole like here. And then when you think of the ratios and everything like that, but I think the, the recognition of those sorts of losses existing, the lesson from 08 is that once you start kind of, talking about, oh, we could have done a better job. Yes, we had losses here, but now they're contained. You know what I mean? They're, they're not a problem anymore. That's not how it played out in 08. I mean, like, like, like they just kept on getting worse. It was death by a thousand cuts. And when you think about the opposite end of what's gone on here is like back then it was leverage, it was credit. Now it's duration, right? And it's mismatch of durations and interest rate risk. Well, on the other side of that could be, something from the credit standpoint mm -hmm. okay like and so that's why i'm just saying it makes sense to be prudent so i'm looking at this xlf chart right here okay guy and you talk to me if you didn't know what it is you didn't know there's a crisis here or whatever and you had a like like a plausible reason why it just sold off back near those october lows um and i think this is uh the xlf here you might say okay i'll take a shot i'll stop it at those lows that we had from like in the fall or something like that mm -hmm. That's a fine way to trade. I, I got no problem with that. This is an ETF. You don't have the idiosyncratic risk. There's not one name that's more than 15% of the way to that. You know, it's just all if correlations go to one in the space, like that thing's going to flush lower, but it's not likely to gap down 
10% or 15%, you know what I mean? Like you might get a four or 5% gap or something like that. So the risk there, uh, the risk reward of taking a shot, if you're inclined to do that, fantastic. Okay. Like, so I guess what I'm saying is, is like, is it a great press right here? My final trade on, on, on options that are in fast money last night was to say to sell the banks. What I really should have said is sell them on a, on, on a rally. Okay. Like, like, and they're rallying right here and they're going to continue to rally probably into tomorrow's thing and i'll continue to lay into them and if i'm wrong i'm wrong i mean if the fed goes takes extraordinary measures if jay powell says all this stuff and we're going to do whatever it takes if he does a draggy remember back in 2012 mm -hmm. or something like, then they're going to scream then they're going to scream that doesn't mean it's over it means that my short trade and my view is really wrong in the near term and i'll fess up to it you know what else is going to scream i mean i know we have a gold chart here um so if we could pull up that gold chart Again, it's a CME day. I mean, that's what's going to scream as well. Now, obviously, gold's doing a bit of a back and fill today. We actually spoke to that yesterday, yeah, saying how it's probably got a little bit ahead of itself. You probably see a bit of a back and fill, and that's what you're seeing here today. But I don't think this trade is over. And if that's the outcome that happens tomorrow, and again, neither one of us have an idea, but if that's an outcome, one of the unintended consequences is going to be this you know, this commodity trade, I think, is going to re-accelerate to the upside. So again, you know, they can fix things, but when they fix one thing, they break something else. And that's just good. That cycle will continue. And again, if they go extraordinarily dovish here, yeah, the market might like that, but there are going to be other risk assets that are going to like it as well. The question is, you got to figure out what those risk assets are. And I happen to think gold's going to be one of them, Dan. Yeah, so it's interesting. Looking at this chart, I'm looking at the, the futures trading at 1944 or so, guy. And um, I think that you were calling when we just got above, I think that 1850 sort of level. This was maybe a couple weeks ago you thought we were going to see um new highs um you know and that kind of matched high from last april was just below 2000 that was a number i think i lost a bet to danny moses didn't it kiss 2000 um mm -hmm. last year and i said not happening but um you know the back and fill that you and carter kind of thought you could have like look at that number it's probably just below 1900 right you see that rising 50 day well we don't have it here but we have the 200 day the rising 50 day is about 1884 guy that might be a great level to kind of get back in and then you'd be targeting a move um back above 2000 if you want to pull this out if they can do this on a five-year or a 10-year basis um that level the highs in 2020 right during the covid sort of era um, you know, was above that high from a year ago. So you have, I think, like what looks like almost like a cup and handle sort of formation that could be forming. But I guess, guy, this goes back to the situation. You would need some major financial and economic calamity for this thing to have a meaningful breakout above 2000. Is that fair? And again, we're not rooting for that. Let's, I don't think that we are near like something that's going to turn into the summer of 08 into 09. Okay. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen, but I think that with a VIX at 22, right. And the gold just in this range that it's been in for three years, it just doesn't make me feel like there's any fear in the market right here. Yeah. Well, let's, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because as Amanda's pointing out, James Lundgren has a question. Or he has a comment and a question. So if we could pull it up for everybody to see great discussion, guys, question. How can it be so quiet out there with the VIX yeah. down two and a half handles on the eve of such a critical decision catalyst, effectively just a day away? And I'll take a stab at this, Dan. I know you have thoughts as well. You know, I think one of the things that happened, I think everybody loaded up, everybody. I mean, market participants loaded up on puts, got long vol, and the back end of the Silicon Valley, all sort of the nonsense we saw a couple of weeks ago in anticipation of what wound up happening 
of course, the problem for them was it didn't last all that long. And when you had over that weekend, you know, effectively the Fed came in, backstopped the situation, then subsequently had these 11 banks come in with First Republic. The outcome that was probably inevitable got thwarted by those actions. And then people that were caught long volatility obviously had to sort of backtrack and get out of it. And I think that's what you're seeing now. Now, the question is, I think embedded in James's comments and question is, are they zigging when they should be zagging? And, you know, maybe people should be getting long vol here ahead of what's going to transpire in the next day or so. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting. You know, this goes back to like when you're trading these sorts of kind of volatile markets and you're, you're kind of trying to be a little bit contrarian, which is definitely um, what I'm doing here. You know, I, I want to make one other point on, on the trading front. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, you and I, when we talk about trading futures and the ability to use stops makes a lot of sense. I mean, stops is one really important risk management tool. The other one is sizing, right? Mm -hmm. You'll hear this like, so sizing is really important when you think about that and just kind of calculating what, you know, a one or 2% move against you kind of means. And then you kind of have to size that relative to your portfolio. And then the other point is just diversification, right? So like, like, like right now, you know, me with a, a spy short, a QQQ short and an XLF short, like those are probably fairly well, oh, the spy and the XLF are probably fairly well cor correlated. The X, uh, the QQQ, um, less so, but it's all like the same trade. Right. So that's like showing a high concentration. It's like not likely that one of those is going to fall out of bed and the other two are going to remain, you know, kind of bid that sort of thing or vice versa. So, um, you know, I, I sometimes in periods like this, I don't I'll always listen to um, the, the, the really sound trading principles. But um, sizing is a really important one because the last thing you want to do is wake up and have a situation where you're just on the wrong side of like a kind of what, what do you call it a uh you know just one of those kind of once in a yeah tsunamis tsunami. you, you know go. today is a cme day for market calls uh cme group is also a sponsor of our podcast but they also have a twitter account which if you're not following you should and they put out a tweet earlier today dan and we have a subsequent uh chart on the side of it and if Ooh. you look traders of all sizes are accessing the crude oil market through micro wti options and this is new daily volume record. So you have to ask yourself, what are these people betting on now? I think this is fascinating. When you see, obviously, uh, crude oil trading at the lowest levels we've seen in quite some time. I think it traded 65 bucks the other day. Yet you're seeing record volume in options. Um, something to think about here, Dan, Nathan. And just bring it up uh, just for, again, visually, I think it does wonders to see you know, what exactly is going on there. Yeah, I think that breakdown level at 70 was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it's something that, um, you know, it was kind of a bit of a panic low into the end of last year. That was, I think, just risk assets across the board were getting sold. I think there was like not particularly great enthusiasm about the global growth trade. You know, I, it's funny that we spent so much time in January talking about China's about face on their zero COVID policy, right? And what that meant for. It's interesting, Guy, that some of the narratives that I'm starting to hear a little bit about, um, crude oil in general and China demand for it, it's kind of being pushed out to the back half of this year. And again, and you know, my old, you know, I, I kind of the back half loaded thing, you know what I mean? Is always um, a bit goofy to me. So let's see if it can get back above 70. Let's see if it can kind of hold those sorts of levels here. Um, but I think crude is probably a pretty decent indication of expectations um, for global growth. And you've also been saying this, I don't know if we have a 10 year yield chart um, that we could throw up too. We were talking about the volatility in it, you know, you know, your premise has been 
that this is going to be more reflective of you know future expected mm-hmm. growth. And I think that the reason that yields came in, we know wh- wh- why, um, but all of those reasons are going to be something that I think are going to be headwinds to, to U.S. growth here, which is also what crude oil um, is telling us. So again, is this an important level to you? It's kind of sitting on that 200-day moving average. That 200-day moving average earlier this year was a double bottom level for the 10-year. Um, in, important or not to you, Guy? No, it's a- – you know, what I take away this is, as I've said a hundred times, and you said earlier, it's just the the level of volatility we're seeing in the bond market that obviously hasn't manifested itself in the equity markets. But, you know, we had a chart, we have moved chart up last week when you were yeah. gone. We we talked about basically implied vol being at levels we haven't seen in decades in, 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 in um, the bond market as well. It's really staggering. So as an absolute level, I mean, I guess it's meaningful because here we are at the moving average. Um, so, yeah, this is sort of the battleground. But in terms of where it goes, and I'll say this again, in my opinion, neither outcome from this level is good for stocks. If rates go precipitously lower, it means something's breaking again. Yeah. And if rates start going back higher, it just creates a headwind that everybody was fearing in the first place. So, it's it, you know, this is one of those heads, heads you win, tails you lose type of thing in reverse. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I, it, it seems like we're in a period and, and, and I kind of want to sit on my hands a little bit. I kind of have made some bearish bets here and let's see what happens with the Fed um, tomorrow. I think it is worth noting, Guy, I'm looking at my main fact set screen. I got hundreds of tickers up here. The XLU, right? The the ETF that tracks utilities is down nearly 3%. Um, you look at Staples is down uh, earlier about 1% here. Um, you look at the IYR, it's down 1%. Um, you know, when you Walmart, you know, target some of these kind of, you know, you know, more deemed to be defensive sort of retailers, it's just risk on right now. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of, you know, about face is from a sentiment standpoint in front of an event where we know we've had some huge moves in around Fed meetings over the last, you know, couple of years or so. It just seems really odd to me. And just the lack of fear uh, of market participants, given the uncertainty that we have for the global economy, for the U.S. economy, um, given valuation levels here in the markets, that's kind of disturbing, you know. And um, I, you know, there was somebody I can't remember who I was just reading this from. They're talking about like, oh, Marco Klonovic over J.P. Morgan said that we could be in for a Minsky moment, okay? And that's just a, a dramatic shift in sentiment and and really a, a dramatic um, price move lower in stocks. And and again, you know. We have a little cushion here. I mean, the Nasdaq's up 15%, right? The S&P's up, you know, 3.5% in the year or so. Um, I think a little fear back in this market would be something um, appropriate. Last thing, which is showing no fear, or maybe it is showing fear. Just let's pull up the Bitcoin futures That's here. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, talk, so talk to me. Listen, you know, you and I, we've talked about this ad nauseum, okay? Um, last year, when we had inflation readings at 40-year highs, right, one of the pillars of the bull case for Bitcoin was a, it was a great inflation hedge. Well, it wasn't, right? It went from like 70000 down to like, you know, 15000 or something. So now when we have this banking calamity, right, and you have all these doomers on Twitter and all these people who hate fiat currencies and all this sort of stuff, they're saying like, this is the moment. There's this guy, Balaji Sarvasan, who's been a huge um, Bitcoin evangelist. He's also calling for the down, uh, the, the end of nation states, the end of fiat currencies. He's made some bet where he's willing to put a million dollars in escrow um, that that literally that Bitcoin's going to go, I think, to a million dollars in 90 days. OK, just, so you know, guys, it's trading at twenty eight thousand. Um, I mean, rather than buying a million dollars of Bitcoin at twenty eight thousand and being right and being able to just even if it doubles, um, that just seems like a goofy sort of thing. Thoughts here on what Bitcoin means to you, this little rally, because literally about a week and a half ago, it looks like it was headed back to ten thousand. 
Yeah, I mean, I've made the comments I've made have not been as sort of, uh, I guess, out there as the gentleman that you speak of. But what I've said for literally years is Bitcoin to me is a bet against central banks. And when central banks were flooding the flooding their respective countries with liquidity and and lowering rates, it was no surprise that Bitcoin went to sixty six thousand. By the way, go back and look at what's going on globally at that time. And then when our Fed got religion in November of twenty twenty one. That's when Bitcoin topped out. Obviously, as the Fed continued to raise rates, Bitcoin continued to go down. That was not puzzling to me at all. It actually made a lot of sense. So this move effectively from 17,000 to 28,000 is Bitcoin's calling bullshit on this Federal Reserve and central bank saying, you guys had your day in the sun. You broke something. You're not going to be able to continue down this path. It's party on. And maybe Bitcoin's right here. I mean, maybe that's effectively what's going on. But All Bitcoin is to me, and I've said this repeatedly, is a play against central banks. And right now, Bitcoin is saying the central banks are losing. Yeah, but, you know, I'm just going to take you real quickly. And I know we got to get out of here, guy. Um, You know, Doug Cass, we quote Doug all the time. We chat with Doug, uh, realmoney.com. Had a great um, piece out on on that website in, in his mailing list about the Fed in general. And I think you probably would agree with it. It was titled, They Know Nothing. I think he's re- yeah. uh, re- re- referring to Jim Cramer back in 07. And, and, and you know what's really important about this? I mean, Jim gets tagged for a lot of stuff. But this was August of 07. Okay, when when Kramer, remember we went on with Aaron Burnett and and he Mm -hmm. had that tirade about they know nothing. And think about that. I mean, like that was like seven, eight months before Bear failed and and before, you know, more than a year before the calamity that unfolded that summer in 08 and into the fall. And, you know, I think the Fed has revealed himself and this is not me ranting. We don't have to get in a rant right here. I mean, they are about as confused as any market participant is right now. And, and if they are as confused, make no mistake about it, that all these guys and they are all guys. Well, uh, maybe the Citibank gal um, that, that are CEOs of these huge banks. They have no freaking clue right now either. Okay, so like if you're looking for the confidence in your your regulators, in your, um, you know, your bank CEOs and this, and they, they know, I mean, listen, they have more information, the decisions that they make on those information, they have demonstrated time and time again to make bad decisions, many bad decisions, right? So like, I, I guess like, and you can sit here and you can call, I'm getting a little fired up. You can call me out for having a little tirade about the banks last night and having up my ass today and this and that or whatever, but I'm here, man. And I'm talking about them every day, right? It's timestamped. Um, <laughs> These clowns, uh, for the most part, and many of them are clowns. I mean, think about how many of these banks have literally gone to zero. And so I just make the point about First Republic. And again, I've heard this again and again. I said this yesterday. Fine banking institution, great product, great services, great people who work there or whatever. But who the hell knows whether this thing's a donut or whether it's going back to 100 bucks? You know what I mean? I don't know. And so, and I'm going to tell you who knows least of all are the people running First Republic Bank. So. Well, and Steve Eisman said, and we're going to get out of here, folks, and thanks for being with us. He said it last week on Fast Money. If the Fed is scared, you should be too. And I, I, I could not agree with him more. And it's wise, sage words. And he effectively said, in this environment, there's no reason to be a hero. And I would agree with that. So that's it for today, Dan. I like that little yeah. mini rot you went on. You, you channeled yeah. your inner Danny Moses. Yeah. I want to thank, obviously, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Fact set. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Amanda is back. Jacob's there. Rafus is there. Thank you, our audience. We had a lot of comments. Sorry, we don't be able to get to a few of them. We will be back tomorrow, which is, I think, tomorrow's Wednesday. 
Uh, we're going to give Carter Braxton worth the day off, folks. He was a well-deserved day off. But it's either going to be me and Dan, or maybe we'll bring in a um, surprise guest. We shall see. Regardless, we'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you later. Thanks. Thanks.